Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It's a happy Monday to you folks. Can you believe it's already a new week? Well, guess what, folks? This is the week that you look at yourself in the mirror and say, this is the day that I know somebody believes in me. For some of you, it might be your spouse or your romantic partner, but some it might not. For some, it might be a friend or a teacher. Maybe it's your boss or a student or a family member. But know this, there's at least one person out there that does believe in you and the life that you're trying to build. If you're thinking that you don't have somebody that believes in you, just remember this. It's us sometimes who forget to believe in people because someone at some point in our life broke our trust. Believe in people. It is the people who provide meaning to your life as a friend, a customer, a parent, a stranger, or a neighbor. It's people who believe in you. Be grateful for the ones who believe in you and embrace it with all your heart. Now let's get this party started on a Monday morning. All right. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. Happy Monday, folks. Thank you for tuning into the Crude Live Morning Show. Here, play hard, work hard. Sterling is off on assignment this morning. He'll be back tomorrow along with a fantastic guest in Arthur Berman. He's an energy expert and an author as well. What else does he do? Economic news. He knows how to predict the future better than most Nostradamus types. So he's a very good guest. Excited to have him coming on tomorrow but today let me tell you about today byron tuck he's with simon energy he's in our newsmaker segment he'll join us on our swan energy phone lines byron tucks with simon energy we're going to talk about 1031 exchanges exchanging property for other property and goods and things like that and of course that does impact the oil and gas world especially with the new regulations or laws or guidelines that happened in December. So Byron Tuck with Simon Energy in our Newsmaker segment. But before that, coming up in just a moment or two on our Swan Energy phone lines is Thomas Pyle with the American Energy Alliance. And he's going to kind of fill in a little bit this morning for our play hard portion because you know what? I want to just have a real just kind of loose conversation with Thomas Pyle, the president of the American Energy Alliance. And let's talk about these executive orders and what's going on. And, you know, Pyle's down in D.C., so maybe we should get a boots on the ground from the inauguration as well to find out what happened uh, during uh, Joe Biden's inauguration. What the heck? Let's get that done. I see the phone lines going. All right. We're going to take a brief pause and we come back. Thomas Pyle, the president of the American Energy Alliance, is going to join us right here on the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. This is the Play Hard portion. My name is Jason Spies. Sterling is off today. He'll be back tomorrow. We'll be back with Thomas Pyle in just a moment here as we play hard, work hard.
Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Tom Pyle with the American Energy Alliance. Thank you for joining the Crude Live here today. We've got a couple issues to talk about coming off of executive orders. President Joe Biden I believe the day before even announced he was going to do 15 executive orders. There was two of them that stood out in my mind. One was the Keystone XL pipeline. The other one was the uh, climate change Paris Accord, I believe is the bullet point behind that. So now we bring in Mr. Pyle to talk about uh, those those two specifically. And if he's got any on his mind, he certainly can can, uh, use the platform to get the word out there. But how are you doing today? As good as can be living down here in the swamp. Yeah, how's it? How is it down in D.C.? Well, they're clearing away the the um, security that they had, had literally had. Like that downtown looked like a war zone. Uh, I can't describe it any other way. Um, and it was just. I feel like it was. I mean, I am not condoning in any way the the atrocity that happened a couple weeks back. But the the response, I think, was very very outsized uh, in terms of what they did. I mean they basically like the Democrats say they don't like the wall or guns but they had tons of guns and there were lots of walls uh, uh, over the past week or so so uh, hopefully things will hopefully things will, will will turn back to some new normal and we'll, we'll see some you know a uh, uh, little less heightened um, sensitivity around here so Good example of why boots on the ground is very important for a lot of different reasons. You know, I mean, you're here to talk about a couple national issues, but the boots on the ground reporting, which you just did, in my estimation, brought up a great perspective, which I don't hear talked about much, which is, you know, one one particular group that has been campaigning on a certain ideology now just use that in a way that, you know, is, is pretty hypocritical, you know, without getting into the specifics like you just laid out. Uh, the Democrats were against walls and guns, and then when it came an opportunity for them to use it to their advantage, they went ahead and used it. And um, I, I haven't heard that nationally, you know? That's just, that's an interesting perspective. So thank you for that. <laughs> just Yeah, I mean, you really, uh, it, there, there are a lot of those. I mean, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of the things that... Uh, where the promises that were made uh, in the interest of, you know, helping people actually will harm them uh, or actually make 
life more difficult for them or take away their job, for example. And the Keystone uh, permit, the rescinding of the Keystone permit is a a very, very clear, stark example of that very thing. Um, Well, let's talk about that for a second because there's a lot of different avenues for this. And I don't want to take up too much of your time. And so I'm just going to list off uh, three of them off the top of my head and you can elaborate on those and then go whatever direction you want. But the obvious one is the the whole efficiency of safety when it comes to the pipeline versus trucks on the road and, and rail cars. And you know a lot of rail cars go next to bodies of water. And so there's that whole transportational aspect with the safety part of it. Uh, to me, probably one of the bigger ones that I don't think gets dis- – oh, the second one is the jobs, of course, the whole economic impact with the jobs. But the one that I think needs to be talked about, and that's why I'd like to highlight it, is the whole continental national security and international security. That, to me, to ha- having a very good economy – working relationship, energy relationship with your neighbors of Mexico and Canada just seems to be in everybody's best interest for America, especially when you've got some geopolitical Saudi Arabia and Russia issues and et cetera, et cetera. So those are the three off the top of my head. So you can either, you know, opine on those or you probably got 15 more, but that's how I just thought I'd set the table if you didn't mind. You bet. Let me tell you, let me start with the, with the safety. Transporting liquid fuels by pipe is, without even a, a fathom of debate, the safest way to transport these materials. We've been doing it for decades. Um, and all of a sudden, we're, instead of constructing the... Now, remember, this the Keystone XL is almost complete. I would say there's about 300 miles or so left to connect Alberta to the southern, you know, the Gulf region to go continuous. But but because of that 300 miles or so, 4,150 trucks, eight, 11, over 1,000 rail cars are needed to move this oil. Rail cars and trucks are not a safe, are not a safe way to transport this, this stuff. As safe. I mean, obviously, it's still, there's still few, very few incidents, but there'd be significantly fewer if we just completed this pipeline, jobs. Over 10,000 American union jobs so far have been created during the construction of the pipeline. Um, that these, unfortunately, the company that uh, owns, or, or you know, the company, uh, the builder, TC Energy, announced that they had to stop work on the pipe. Um, to, to finish the pipe, they they would they wouldn't hire an additional seven or eight thousand union workers this year alone. Um, so when the president says he wants to, you know, create good union jobs, he just killed it. his first act. He killed seven thousand good union jobs. So it's it, it just like I said, um, it's a very hypocritical um, t- decision. The last thing I will say is, you are one hundred percent right. The nothing could be more important than than a North American energy security, right? Uh, can't I, a neighbor um, if we can't bring that good oil from Alberta down to our refineries in the Gulf, 
we got to get it from somewhere else. And you know what the next sort of closest match in terms of the types of crude oil that these refineries take is from Venezuela. Last I checked, things weren't going so well in Venezuela, right? I mean, this is just so... There is no legitimate reason to to yank this permit back out of the hands of getting this pipeline complete. And if they talk about the environment, they're they're not being... I won't say they're not being truthful. I'll say that they're bending the facts. This pipeline, the... the the owners committed to investing in renewable power to power the pipeline. They've committed to um, giving money, <laughs> just handing money over for green job training for union workers, right? I mean, they've been over backwards to check the, the green box, if you will, uh, but it still wasn't good enough for these folks because they want to, they want to eliminate the use of these resources. That's their goal. You cannot negotiate with somebody who wants to eliminate your job or your, your, your product. It just doesn't work. There's no middle ground between, you know, somebody who doesn't want you to exist um, and operating in a safe and, and, and reliable, secure manner. So that's what I'll say about that. <laughs> well, I'll, I got another question for you since you're so articulate in your responses. Uh, the, the the 15 of them, I briefly skimmed them, read the, the couple that were oil and gas related. But I'll tell you what, there, there was a good dozen of those executive orders that I saw the word review, you know, re-review and, you know, revisit and, and those types of things. When it came came to the rules of science, environment, and public health, and those yeah. those are red flags. Like I, to me, that that is what that is more than a shot across the bow to the oil and gas industry, and um, I'm I'm not sure if the industry quite understands that yet. I, I'm not sure. No, I think you're exactly right. I think that a lot of people said, well, you know. We'll get along with Joe. He's a good guy, and this and that and the other. Joe's not running this show. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. The and thank you for bringing that up because what was in the news was sort of the immediate sort of uh, you know Keystone, and we can talk about the Paris Accord. This is what what was gave me the most pause and the most fear is they basically signed executive orders to obliterate all of the progress that was made under the previous administration with respect to removing barriers to produce energy in this country. Arbitra ar barriers that were art artificially added from the previous Obama-Biden administration to make it difficult for us to produce these God-given resources in our country. And that's what's next. Already, they've announced a ban on new permits and new um, production of oil and natural gas and coal on our federal lands. Energy produced on our federal lands is 12% of our natural gas production and nearly 25% of our oil production. Um, this is a, a concerted 
sort of organized and, uh, you know, they're finishing what they started, uh, so to speak, uh, prior to, you know, a, a guy named Donald Trump sort of stand, standing in the way. Um, and it is, it should give a lot of people pause. It's, it's bad for our security. Uh, as you mentioned, um, the, the difference between using our, using our own lands, by the way, which are taxpayer owned lands, we all own these lands, not just the greens, uh, would be, could potentially be an increase of 2 million barrels a day of oil imported from foreign sources by in, in, in less than 10 years. Um, and we could lose 800 billion cubic feet of, of natural gas production in the same amount of time. Um, so it is, it is going to be a rough couple of years here uh, between now and the midterm elections um, when the American voters will have another chance to, 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 to share with uh, uh, the politicians how they feel about how things are going in Washington and in the state houses. Just making some notes here. Apologize. Um, so I, I did want to ask you about that federal land ban, and you know when when you take when we take a look at re- the reality of what's going on, we're just going to take a step back here. And um, we had Senator Kramer on the show, U.S. Senator Kramer, who's very was very uh, he was an advisor to Trump on energy for for four years, and. We had him on and we talked about, I just flat out asked him, I said, boy, the direction things are going, it certainly seems like, you know, we're going to have six energy companies in the world controlling 90% of the market. He said, it's more like four. And I went, whoa, okay, I thought I was crazy at six, but now I got a U.S. senator on record saying four, so we're going to go with that. But he was talking about these policies that are in place with some of the bans and just really managing and, 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 and controlling the marketplace in a whole new way that oil and gas doesn't operate well with. You know, oil and gas needs the free market to work. And, and you start, I know Texas had, had controlled production for a long time, but, but there's still, there's, there's a bigger advantage, especially right now when you're talking about natural gas and shifting subsidies over to natural gas, letting those clever capitalists come up with great innovative ways because... At the end of the day, you mentioned about the shale revolution over the last 10, 15, 20 years. From my understanding, the planet's actually gotten cleaner as far as the, 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 the air and, and everything. So our emissions continue to get cleaner like we have over the last 150 years, you know, back when we were burning wood and hay up to now when we got natural gas as our foundation. So um, Getting to, getting to that, what do you make about the direction we're going with, whether it be the consolidations, the layoffs, or the direction that this administration seems to be pushing renewables and, and controlling the marketplace? It's a, it's a loaded question, no matter how you slice and dice it. That's why I thought I'd start off with the U.S. Senator's words, because <laughs> he's, he kind of set the table on that one. So, Sure. Um, and it is, it is with... with not- and I discuss this with no pleasure. The um, the folks in charge in Washington want to control our choices. They want to control what energy we're allowed to use, what energy uh, we are, what types of cars we're allowed to drive. Um, they want to control uh, these the resources. Why? Because if they control energy, they control the economy. It's that simple. If 
if they are making the decisions of, uh, about what types of energy we can use, how we can transport it, um, what types of cars we can drive, because by the way, they want to ban the internal combustion engine. Um, they've been very clear about that. Um, they determine how our economy grows, where people live, um, how we get around, um, and that's that's really the difference. Uh, whereas with free market, we're in charge. We decide based on our preferences um, what energy sources we use, what types of vehicles we drive, where we live, things like that. So um, it really comes down to ch power and control versus choice and and affordability, uh, because companies don't want to spend more money than they have to to make a product, to deliver a product. Also, I don't believe companies deliberately want to pollute. Um, the thing is, when you talked about the shale revolution, and this is a direct tie to the Paris Accord, which we're now back in, apparently, thanks to President Biden. While we were in the four years that we were out of the Paris Agreement, if we were still to remain in the Paris Agreement, we would have been one of the only countries in the world on track to meet our, our, our self-imposed uh, uh, emission reduction targets. So all of these European countries that are wagging their finger at the United States and sh you know, you know, trying to sh shame the United States for not being in this international agreement, which is designed to impact our economy in a negative way, there, none of them are even anywhere near on track to meeting their targets. And the reason that we're on track to meeting our targets is because of natural gas. Because we're using a lot more natural gas and therefore a lot less coal to produce electricity. And since 2005, we, the United States, has had the largest in, environmental uh, uh, improvements in air quality than any other country in the world. Incredible. I mean, that, that, that's the part where facts don't seem to matter. And that's where we're in a, in a disconnect that's really scary. You know, you mentioned, I'm glad you brought up the Paris Accord because that was the next place I wanted to go where when, to me, that Paris Accord represents a lot more planet of platitudes versus realm of reality. And what I mean by that is, is they're more concerned with the hubcaps of the car than the engine itself. And so... When Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old at the time, that's not a high school graduate, is your, is, is your mascot, is your main keynote speaker, is your voice of science to come out of a Paris summit climate exchange, that, that said a lot to me because there were probably climatologists and doctors and PhDs of people that have have gone to school for 20 years to study the climate, and they just got completely usurped by a mascot. That told me we're in a brave new world of science, environment, and public policy, really, that is more about feel-good stories than facts. So how do we get the connection back? I grew up in agriculture, so I saw the grocery store replace the farmer. I, I heard all about that. And right now, I see the light switch replacing the oil and gas worker. Yeah, um, it's all very somber when you when you when you encapsulate it like uh, as well as you did. I think that um, part of the answer is that 
we have to continue to push against this, you know, replacing facts with emotions and narrative. Um, and we also have to remind people uh, that these, these policies have real impacts on people. You know, poor people spend a lot more of their budgets on energy than wealthy people. Uh, 30%, people in the lowest uh, income uh, rungs on the ladder spend 30% of their budgets on just on meeting their basic energy needs. It hurts them the most. All of these policies, the cumulative impact of these policies hurt them the most. Those that the, 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 the folks that are advancing this agenda claim to be wanting to help the most, they're actually harming the most. And we've got to remind people about that. And we also have to push back. We, we have to fight it. Um, it. You know, we, win, we may not win popularity contests as a result, but we have to fight it because ultimately what it comes down to is this issue, whether or not the issue of climate change, whether or not you think it's a problem, whether man is having an impact, it's not just an issue for this ideological ideological uh, portion of the of the party, the Democratic Party, it's it's their organizing tool. It's a religion in a lot of ways for them. They, you know, it's it's masking their true intent, which is to prevent um, the oil and gas and coal uh, miners and producers and workers in this country from delivering these resources. The this the single most efficient um, most powerful uh, sources of energy and electricity are these three. Eighty percent of our electricity, I'm sorry, of our, of our total energy comes from these three sources. Thirty years ago, it was 80 percent. And even with all of this, um, you know, talk about transitioning and clean energy, they're still minuscule uh, in terms of production, in terms of utilization than these sources. So, and let's, let me add one more thing, uh, which is an interesting twist. We would not have the vaccines without oil and gas. Personally, I, I like the religion comment because we've been trying to explain this for three to four years on the program. Um, from an anthropological speaking, I mean, I'm talking about if I was teaching a class in college, I, I could argue it very easily based on the anthropological studies of, of religion and how religions are formed and how there's this, this connection to a feeling and even in the formation of man is kind of, you know, uh, came in and destroyed the planet, the Garden of Eden. So we even have this like original sin type of, you know, context that's laid into this climate activism. We used, to, we used to call environmentalists, but then two years ago we changed it to climate activists because I adopted a highway back in 2004, and there ain't anybody calling me an environmentalist. And I've been, I've been plant-based for over 14 years. I've, so, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a hippie than I, am a, than I am an oil and traditional oil and gas guy. I'm the only vegan that MCs a barbecue every year. So, uh, yeah, and so, I mean, I, I, I do things in my personal life because I tend to, you know, just, just subscribe to that lifestyle. And um, it's interesting to me how it, the labeling is so, so, so simple 
towards anyone who works in the oil and gas industry and and a lot of these different things. How can we just it, it kind of concluding here a little bit? How how can we combat it? You know, what's next? How can we? Is it time to shake the trees and uh, you know start? emailing our, our local constituents and calling their feet to the fire because the national ones aren't listening? I mean, who's representing oil and gas anymore? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Yeah, uh, please and do. ask people to subscribe to um, our, our um, go to our website, AmericanEnergyAlliance.org, and sign up because we this is our job. I mean, our job is to inform, educate, empower um, we provide tools for your listeners to participate in the political process and make your voice heard. Um, and we are here and exist to promote free markets. Uh, that is our mission, uh, is to promote free markets because we believe they leads to the best outcomes for individuals, for society, for the environment, for the economy. And it's proven Time and time again, centrally planned economies do not work. The only thing they do is further enrich the people who are in charge and further uh, put a, a firmer grip on their control over us. And it's that stark. Um, and I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. That's where we are right now in, in our society. with Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be, united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices, the solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know. When you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Byron Tuck with Simon Energy Associates, LLC, Midland, Texas. Kimberly Smith with Talk Texas Oil. 
Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. Let's talk a little bit about some 1031s, how that plays into the whole oil and gas world. We're in 2021 now, so I know we're going to have all kinds of new different codes and laws and all kinds of things. So how are you guys doing today? Well, the uh, code section 1031 of the Internal Revenue Code deals with like-kind exchanges, and they've been popular in the oil and gas industry for many years. Uh, the uh, And uh, you, you've seen it in all aspects of the industry, not only producing, non-producing, but leasehold, so forth. Uh, and with the recent changes in the tax law, where only real property now qualifies for the like-kind or tax-free exchange, uh, oil and gas has become even more important as an alternative for, uh, say, real estate transitioning, uh, trying to shelter a gain, temporarily shelter a gain for a while. So it, it's it's quite common, and uh, there are many qualified intermediaries out there that can help uh, real estate or oil and gas uh, firms that want or individuals that want to to. Uh, engage in a like-kind exchange. And we have seen it with like um, mineral owners selling uh, their minerals and doing a like-kind exchange for a different additional farmland. Or ranchers leasing their ranch and using the leasehold by the neighbor off. Uh, they bought the bonus off the leasehold in a tax-free exchange. Um, so, and, and of course it's constantly changing we don't know what the government's going to do uh, on the next any new tax laws, this new administration. But it has been quite popular, and these um, and I and think I, we'll continue to see that. And I think what we're wanting the oil and gas community to know is that people may be trading now, or they may be thinking of trading and releasing a property, and they don't have to feel like someone's going to come in and take it for a tenth of what it's worth. I think we are encouraging oil and gas properties and operators to consider like-kind exchange where you can trade your investment asset for a beach house or a commercial property. And that there are a lot of different kind of trades that can happen. They don't have to be where you're just divesting completely. And where um, Talk Texas Oil wants that that uh, message out there, I, um, as, as, a, as a landman and um, working in real property, have the ability to trade in real estate and it's so hard to communicate that you know oil and gas is real property um and is able to trade even though it's subsurface even though uh you know you usually think of your homes and your beach houses and your commercial buildings being surface property um that oil and gas is really like the the uh, the same thing in that regard of the ability to trade and um, where we can make it much simpler um, in that and then you can have that deferment which Byron being an accountant can know but there's a lot of uh, speculation always is the price of oil and gas rises and falls you know who's going to be knocking on my door who's going to want want to be the vulture sitting there waiting on me and and you don't have to be in that environment or have those that fear when you're working with Simon Energy or uh, Top Texas Oils or working with them is you're dialoguing about what your property is. Now, I'm just going to back up for just a second here in case anybody 
may be wondering what the heck we're talking about here because um, there were some changes that happened and so there might be some people that uh, can participate and not even know it. Um, I know when I looked into this, I believe the change happened early December, but I had always looked at real property as, you know, land and uh, structures, you know, buildings, real estate, uh, the traditional real estate that a realtor would sell, so to speak, not a land man or land woman, excuse me. So uh, I guess, can do you know the uh, update on that, uh, what I'm talking about, and just kind of maybe give an overview of where we're at when it comes to the 1031s for the layman out there? Well, I'm a, officially a retired CPA, so I'm not allowed to give tax advice, but uh, oil and gas, uh, mineral rights, leasehold have been considered real property for a long time, <clears throat> and they've always been subject to a uh, approved like kind of exchange, and sometimes you do reverse 1031s or three-cornered, a more common thing is a three what they call a three-cornered trade, where someone is selling and they want the cash and, and, or they want to do a 1031 and the cash goes to somebody else and the uh, and the, the buyer ends up with the property you know? and uh, those three corner trades are quite quite common in 1031 exchanges and but it's the reason why the, the black kind exchange was put in internal revenue code to begin with is because someone who has a piece of raw land and he sells it to a developer, he's going to have a capital gain and he wants to put it into another property. So if they didn't have, if the like kind exchange, tax exchange wasn't available, he was going to have to pay taxes and then turn around and buy that land that he wanted to go to. And that's his trade or business, buying raw land, speculate for development. He was going to have to buy it with after-tax dollars, which would make it more expensive. And by doing the like kind exchange, when he sells out to a developer his land and he sees another property he wants to buy, he can do what they call a three-corner trade and, and convert that sales proceeds from the one he's selling into the acquisition uh, payment uh, for that property he's buying and it not be taxed. So, and there, it is a, uh, it just makes sense why penalize somebody, because if you didn't have that provision, you'd never want to sell anything. You, you'd have an incentive not to sell, because you're, you'd, and, and read, and speculating in raw land, because you would always be paying taxes every time you did a transaction, and it would just raise your cost of doing business. In other words, creating taxable income with no cash to pay the taxes, or you would have to carve out enough pay the taxes and so the government saw this as a solution to that problem and it gives everybody an incentive because eventually they're going to get their money from the developer or whoever whatever when they go out and sell it to their, the final buyer and they will pay that tax and uh, sooner or later so it's not like the government's giving them something but it is an incentive for transactions to be done that create value create wealth that will eventually be taxed and that's the whole concept behind the like kind exchange and and the government has not changed that now there are they have uh, made it more difficult to do a like kind exchange with rules compared to 
what it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But uh, it, it's still very popular and still very useful. And you really see it in raw land, farmland, ranch land, that sort of thing, where there's no cash to pay the taxes. And I used uh, to see it, like I say, occasionally it would pop up in um, like a old shopping mall or something like I, I just I don't, I don't even know if it ever got done but back when I kind of had the real estate license I, I did I had my real estate license for three years back in the former life and um, one thing I do remember though is I don't think you can be a relative and I know a realtor can't do it so um, who actually does the 1031 exchanges I mean is that you got to hire an attorney for that or Kimberly are you doing those or who's doing them these days you, you have to have a, what is known as a qualified intermediary. The qualified intermediary is someone who controls the cash, has control of the cash, and directs the cash so that the buyer, uh, the seller, never receives ownership or possession of the cash uh, from the sale, and and, and directs it in its in generally in a three-cornered trade to the the, pro- the proper space it belongs. There's companies that are basically, that's all they do, uh, are, are 1031 exchanges as a qualified intermediary. So it's quite common. We've done a lot of them ourselves, been involved in a lot of them ourselves with sellers that we've represented. And like we did one, uh, the most recent, we, didn't, we haven't done any during the COVID, but um, prior to that, we did one summer of 2019. And... Uh, <clears throat> It, it worked. It went real well. In fact, we, our, our seller decided at the last minute to do a 1031. Uh, we were closing on a Friday, or, uh, and uh, we agreed on a Thursday night. And the qualified intermediate was Dallas. The buyer was in Houston. Our, our group is the San Antonio area, and the seller was up here in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, we handled all the paperwork, created the agreements and everything. That morning, got the... the the transaction closed and by the time I returned to Midland my commission was in my bank account so it is easy to do and uh, it's uh, it's quite popular and it was beneficial to that farmer who was selling his business but it is the ability for you to look around put your property up for sale make that transaction then look around for something that's very diverse in in the whole marketplace in the U.S. to look at another commercial area, to look at another uh, residential area, um, and allows you to kind of where oil and gas sometimes gets very stuck on what their complete assets are. And we, we are so into what we do every day that we don't often look up and go, oh, you know, hey, how about, you know, going out uh, on the East Coast and looking for that beach house and doing that trade right there where that real estate may have equal value and have a place where our family can go for a little while. Yeah. So um, we, we think so we think about you know what our production is going to be over time and we think about those things but we may want to think okay let's exchange that for some family time or something for our kids and grandkids so there's so many different ways to think about what you want to do with your assets in life and one of the reasons that we asked Simon Energy to do this is we know that they go to vet their properties out and they work very hard through the title um 
as uh, as well as um, all the analytics that are happening uh, for your property to be where it needs to be when it's going to go to sell. And that, that's extraordinarily valuable. Well, for me, the thing that I like is we used to talk about these back, like I said, a former life when I had a real estate license. I didn't practice a lot, but this was always something that seemed to come up as one of the options. And anytime you got another option, whether you use it or not, is irrelevant. It's nice to have options. And yes, a lot of times these just work down to the sheer numbers too for a lot of things. I mean, if you can save or figure out a way not to pay taxes on a quarter million dollars, well, that's pretty good. And a lot of yes. times these things allow that. So that's that, that was that's my two cents. I don't know. <laughs> Well, and, and you you seen some like uh, I've seen some like kind of exchanges well into the eight figures, nine figures, and uh, that are done. And of course, the ultimate is the corporate reorganization where they do swap paper, and that's a form of a like kind of exchange. It's tax free. It's not called a ten thirty one. It's a it's under the the corporate tax provisions where it's a non taxable transaction where somebody swaps paper and they merge and because uh, there's no cash to pay the taxes so they don't want to the government does not want to prohibit uh, these transactions from taking place so there there's a concept behind it uh, which is very important it's to avoid a situation where you have taxable income and no cash to pay taxes yes. the government tries to avoid that and the taxpayer wants to avoid that and that's what the like kind or tax-free exchanges in all aspects that are available to buyers and sellers of real property. So uh, <clears throat> it is a it's something to be considered, and I, I agree. It's uh, uh, And there's several areas where you're probably going to see growth in this. It's Airbnb is causing a lot of that to take place, and uh, there'll be other things like that that will result in uh, like kind of exchanges and so forth so uh and they uh i don't you know there's also these uh, uh Del delaware statutory trust i don't i'm not familiar with all of them but that's a new thing that's come out and uh that enables a black kind of exchange there's a lot of things to look into and of course i want to encourage everybody to talk to your tax accountant or tax attorney that can help you this qualified to give you that kind of advice because uh, I'm certainly not and, uh, and but we do want we do want to pitch as is uh, conceptually new ways for oil and gas uh, producers as they're looking at their portfolios that this is something to uh, consider along the way well how can people get in touch with you guys and if they got more questions well they can reach me at simonenergy.com yeah, talktexasoil.net. The Food Life with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as 
successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that, that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> the Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Lance Medlin from Meridian Energy Group. They are spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken, the Walton Refinery down in Texas, and soon to be an announcement coming out of Oklahoma. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. I think the main the main takeaway that I took from that that question was about receptivity and, and specifically in the downstream industry. So, you know, our perception is that is that the downstream industry, specifically out of oil and gas upstream and midstream, has not been receptive to the uh, to the insistence of the changing economies and the changing uh, uh, global economies that that we take a more environmental and social uh, proactive approach. I don't think that the downstream industry has been receptive to that at all. I, I tell you uh, what, I agree it, with you. By the way, I do agree with you uh, from our firsthand knowledge as well and experience. So I just I wanted to validate what you're saying. So continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but just go no, ahead. no, that's fine. Um, and it's surprising to me because we we've seen it coming. The downstream industry should have seen this coming for for many many years because it didn't start in downstream. It started in upstream. A lot of major capital projects, deep water offshore projects. Were, uh, were found themselves with new regulations, new environmental, uh, environmental and social regulations that the midstream and downstream sectors didn't have because of a lack of new money coming into it, um, lack of new major projects, new major midstream projects, new major downstream projects. Upshore, I'm sorry, upstream, specifically offshore, deep water developments were the first first major capital projects to see the the push for a more mindful ESG approach. Um, that transitioned into midstream as capitals began to be deployed into new developments. The Dakota Pipeline, Gobble, for example, Dakota Access Pipeline, that was uh, a, that should have been a massive indicator to the entire industry. That and that was Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken, the Walton Refinery in Texas, and a third to be added in Oklahoma. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to join our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember... Energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard.